This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Strangers, book one in the Reckoner trilogy, available everywhere. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with a very special guest, David Alexander Robertson. We've worked together before on Will I See? Um, and I also have my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, with me. In the interest of full disclosure, it's important, dear listeners, that you know that the 20 minutes before we started recording this podcast, old toys, yeah. specifically Transformers, we've been talking about for a while. <laughs> They're yeah. making a, a Bumblebee standalone Transformers movie, yeah. and the tagline of it actually got me kind of excited. It's Bumblebee gets like hurt and damaged and hides in this small town, and mm. then at the end, Decepticons come from her or something like that. Right. And just that like little elevator pitch kind of got me excited about but it. But who's involved in it? Too? Yeah, that, I don't know. But just the one liner of like. It is. Yeah, probably. That was oh, during yeah, the uh, the writer strike, right? Where they didn't have actual writers involved. But it doesn't seem like they have writers that. now. Like yeah. I, I don't even watch them anymore because they're just like they're just there's no plot. There's no discernible like it's a music arc. Video. It's, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. There's a plot. Robots are in disguise. I want to ask Dave, how many books do you have out? <laughs> I can't keep track. I, well, you know, part of it is because graphic novels are a lot, not easier to write, but they're quicker. You can write them faster. So the bulk of my work has been graphic novel scripts. And so that's, I have probably about 20 of them um, that I've written and that have been published. And then I, I think Strangers, which is my uh, young adult uh, novel, it was my 25th, and that was my newest. So I think there's, I think there's been 25 books that have come out. Okay, so what was your first book? So my first, and I learned a lot from this one, but my first uh, book was a graphic novel, and it was it was called the The Life of Helen Buddy Osborne, and that was uh, back in uh, 2000. I think the tail end of 2008 or nine, uh, and that was uh, that was one that um, I was contracted to do kind of through like the Helen Buddy Osborne M Memorial Foundation because. They'd want me wanted me to do writing about Helmbody Osborne, and just do some um, lesson plans and that sort of thing for the foundation. And I, I pitched the idea of doing a graphic novel to them, and and as I think less now, but at the time then it was more so where they were like graphic novels, like you can't do something serious in a comic format, oh. you, just, mm. you know? Yeah. Which I think what would year kill was us to hear that. That was a 2008. Yeah. 2008. Right? So I, I would, I showed them all these examples of, you know, really great graph novels that have been done that are either, you know, biographical or historical. And, and they were, and so I convinced them to be, a, to, for, to let me do this. And, uh, so we did it. And, um, you know, we, I eventually redid the book because at the time there's a lot of things that I didn't know about graphic novel, you know, even writing as a, let, let alone like the whole, process of creation um, that, uh, you know, I really kind of lamented uh, as as I got, you know, better at doing it. And so we eventually redid that one as a graphic novel called Betty, uh, where I was able to... Now how many years ago was that? The, the redoing it? Yeah. I redid it uh, like two years ago. And that got, you know, that got a Manitoba Book Awards uh, nomination. 
and that that was uh, you know that was a really a really good uh, take on the story that I was able to incorporate all the things I had learned about graph and all of sequential art writing that I had I didn't know back then. See, you segued uh, into what was going to be my segue. Okay. Dear listeners, because I knew he had redone the book. Right. And yeah. I wanted to know what this, what a perspective as someone who was able to revisit sort of the beginning of your career, mm-hmm. really, uh, while your career was now well underway. What, right. What made you go back? Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, we usually we shouldn't go back. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think, like, the things that we have done, we should learn from. And that's, like, the growth process of, of being a creator is uh, looking back on the things that we've done before and improving on it and learning. and um, But that one, I felt like that story was so important. Um, and I certainly, like, it did very well. Like, it, we, we printed 5,000 copies. It sold all 5,000 copies. Um, and But I just, I felt like I wanted to honor her um, in a more significant way with uh, a retelling of her story with uh, a way that I felt I could do my best at. Uh, and so I, I revisited the story and I convinced my publisher to do it as well. And both books uh, benefit the Helmbody Osborne Memorial Foundation. Um, so I donate royalties to the foundation for that. Um, but it was a way for me to incorporate what I'd learned. And, and what, it, what it really was was looking at the power of images and how, um, you know, the story and th- this story particularly need to be far more reliant on the images that this within the story, the power that the images conveyed uh, and to take a back, let the words take a back seat. And so I, I was able to incorporate all the stuff that I learned in, in really the, the relationship between words and pictures uh, and, and tell her story again in, I think, a really more uh, profound and effective way than I, than I had at first. And I, I don't think I would ever do that again, uh, go back and revisit a story. Um, but for that one, I really wanted to because I just didn't think that uh, I did my best work on it. And part of that is because it was my first work. Uh, and so... So you did the best you could then. I did the best I could then, absolutely. I, I mean, I didn't think I'd ever be able to do a, a better job than I did in 2008. Um, but, you know, in 2015, um, I thought I could absolutely do uh, her more justice now, and so I wanted to do that. Interesting. Well, it's it's multi-layered to me because it's not just um, uh, a creative person looking at their own creative output and saying, I can improve upon this, and then just apply it to their new project. It's you saying, mm-hmm. here's a person and a personal story that... I can now use my stronger voice mm. to tell more people about something maybe they missed the first time around. That's exactly it. I mean, it was, you know, she deserves better um, and I can give her more and more people need to know about her story. Right. And that that book has been able to uh, do that. It just went into a second printing um, this month. So, um, and that's, you know, I think that's, over 5,000 copies now, uh, and, and it's gone into schools across Canada. And uh, so I'm able to go out and talk about her a lot too when I visit classrooms and, and in, in, in her story share, you know, a lot of uh, current epidemics that are facing Canada and First Nations people that I think are important that, you know, all Canadians should know about. And so it, it enabled me to be able to do that in, in retelling her story in that way. Red light stop, green light go, yellow light go very fast. When uh, Justin and I were working on Cassie and Tonk, we decided that we wanted to make a story that, you know, there's only so many times that you can read a book to your young person in your life about sharing. Like, I like them, but there's a lot of them out there. And Mm -hmm. I found that you had a lot of personal time, you know, when you have a young child, when you're spending time reading with them, to have moments where you plant seeds for something a little bit bigger. And so when we were working on this book, we kind of 
came back around over the plot and said, what is something a little bit bigger that we can talk about? And we built in this, you know, this idea of loss. You have to face loss, right? So it's like a little bit heavier. Mm. And this was a, even, uh, even for me, uh, it was a difficult project to work on, but trying to convey that to the artist, right? That I just need him to do his thing and then I'm going to bring that sadness on top. How do you do that? In my own work? Yeah, how do you do that in your own work? Like, Justin, well, maybe let's do this. Justin, how hard was it to work with me when I kept giving you new draft after new draft as to what the words would be on that story? Uh, it, it was nice, actually, because uh, that was, we, we talked about this in the previous podcast. It was me in a room by myself working on this, like, and the print deadline was approaching, so it was a lot of just, you know, 12, 14-hour days of me making pages and just kind of had the blinders on, pigeonholed this one project. Um, so to be able to kind of bring you in periodically to, like, throw your two cents in and kind of help with the, like, those missing puzzle pieces that I hadn't figured out yet, you kind of helped figure those out. That was kind of like the the best part of it. Sometimes um, the missing beat in illustration is a word. Yeah. Right? Not a picture. But it yeah. was also um, like getting close to getting close to the end. I, I kind of realized uh, the best thing for me to do was kind of cut you out and just draw it the way that it needed to be drawn. And then you had to just kind of riff off that. That's right. Rather than listening to you, I'm going to do visually what I need to do. And then you can figure it out from yeah. there. So it was kind of the reverse of what usually is done in a, in a mm -hmm. book like that. And also, since we were doing the book ourselves, there was no other editor mm -hmm. that we had mm -hmm. to run things through. So for you, when you're working with, um, you work with lots of different illustrators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there, what is that method? Let's just start simply. You come up with the script and then. Right. Yeah. I mean, I find like, you know, I don't know if I, Scott Scott would say I'm a kind of anal, but I've learned to let go a little bit of that as I've worked with more illustrators. And I found out that, you know, more and more over the years that I've been doing this, that the illustrator is, is as important a storyteller as the writer is. Uh, and so I've uh, in, embracing that idea has been very helpful in the creative process and developing all these graphic novels and picture books. And um, yeah, so it's a fine line between how much involvement to have in the creative process for the illustrator as a writer uh, and how much to just trust that they, uh, your words are strong enough to give them the images that they need in their head to create the pictures that you saw when you were writing it. You know, if that <laughs> makes any sense, yeah. right? So Actually, we were just talking about how um, one of our favorite things to do is when, when there's a page with, that there's going to be a block of text to go with this image, and you do such, such a good job on the image that you just get rid of all the text. Absolutely. That's, I love when that happens. When yeah. you think you're going to need words to back it up, but... You do a good mm -hmm. job on the illustration. You don't need those words. It's and I found that with like you know a lot of the books I've done, even with Betty, like th there were a p there were a couple pages in that book where originally there was you know not not a heavy amount of words, but there was definitely some um, some narrative in the in the captions uh, and uh, and dialogue. And then when I was looking at you know Scott's art, I was looking it over and I thought, yeah, you know, this does not need any words at all. And so we just cut them all out. And nice. in the end, with that book. Um, I actually took out all the captions. So there's actually no narrative at all in that. It's all the, the, the words so no are the narrative. No the exposition. The pictures are the narrative. Right. There's no exposition at all. Yeah. So the only thing there is are, are timestamps. 
And so it's all dialogue and pictures and there's no narr and there's no exposition. So and that was a product of seeing the work and being like, yeah, this actually needs n the pictures are the narrative are the ex are really the expository work here. They do the work there. So uh, yeah, so th and I find that's a really cool thing about th the process of working with an illustrator is now I can let go of words, which is you know really interesting for a writer. It's difficult for a writer to be able to do is understanding the power of images and then looking at a, a work and saying, yeah, my words just aren't really needed here. So you know, for that book, someone might look at it and say, like, what actually, what work did Dave do here? Because there's actually <laughs> right. there's no words. So what did he do? So the the behind the scenes work is what I find is really important. So the right. creative process for me is especially for a graphic novel, like I'll do a, a really, a really detailed uh, script usually, um, where, you know, a 30 page uh, comic oh, might I know. be, but yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. So you, and you did, you did your own thing with Will I See too, which is, um, which is part of that process as well, where you had very strong visions for, and hopefully some of that was like, um, elicited from the script. Yeah. All of it. Uh, you yeah. know, that, that you kind of, you know, a lot of that, if you looked at the script in the comic, you'd say like these guys weren't driving very well together. But the, the, the thing was, is that, um, the script, when you, when you got it, it gave you that kind of, um, the story in images that you saw, uh, and then that came together, um, really, really well. And I think there's, there's very low word count in that book also. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the thing that writers I think feel like, and I've been able to let go of is, is the word thing. So I'll, as much as I'll do a very detailed script and then sometimes it's, it's very heavy on expository writing and dialogue. Um, but I give that to the illustrator after s of minimal editing. And the process for me is really, as those things, as those pictures start to come in, I will then relook at my script. Then I'll, then I'll, I will ask the questions of myself as I do with like a novel too, with no pictures. I'll say, um, how important are these words to the story? And what, what are the images doing that my words aren't needed for anymore? And then I'll kind of go back and I'll usually shave. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what I found I've been able to do a lot of is, uh, is that shaving process of like, you know, um, when I, once I have to see the pictures, I just don't need these words anymore. Right. You know? And so my, my, uh, my words are less than the images are more, which is how it should be, I think, in, in, in that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, literature is, you know, it's f far more uh, image heavy, and it should be. Have you ever worked with somebody where that wasn't the case, Greg? Like, I don't have any, I've oh, I, much less experience. With stuff like where like the writer doesn't give you very much on Yeah, purpose. well, I guess they, they hold on to that word count, right? Like, I, mm. I need to have my stamp on this. We need all that word. doesn't matter that you did a good job with the um, images. We need to share the page. Thing. Yes, such an ego I, thing. I mean, I guess I have had that, but it wasn't from a, a place of ego. At least that's not how I felt it. I feel like for me, initially, it was an ego thing. Like yeah. I'm just saying that I'm not, I don't want to like put that on other writers, but I feel like for me, originally I was like, hey, like this is my project. Yeah. You know, like these are, this, right. is, this is my story. Well, when I know? worked on uh, Underworld with Laverne Kazersky, he, the, the script, there was a lot more visual freedom than maybe um, people think about in that book because there's lots of exposition. Mm -hmm. um, but the exposition, the, the book itself, the images um, were kind of a puzzle you would transfer back and forth between reality and sort of a dream fiction. And maybe the dream was the reality and the other thing was fiction. And so the grounding part was right. the exposition. Right. And so I knew that there was no way to sort of draw around those things. I had to just do in some instances what I was told to hold the story together. So it didn't mm. feel like someone was saying like, Oh, well we can't cut that. It was for clarity. It was like, if we cut that, no one will know what the heck is going on. Yeah. So I've never been in a position where someone just said, no, that phrase is staying. Um, but I've 
been that guy, <laughs> right? right? I've been that person to say, no, you know, here's my deal breaker. This is the phrase that I need here. But that's the question too, is when you're looking at that and saying, you know, these words are needed to tie these threads together. Then that's, that's, that's again, the question that's that right. I go through, right? Is, is, you know, what, what, what work does the, do the words do here? Right. You know, if I can't answer that, then I say, okay, then, you know, you can probably it, cut them. Right? Yeah. yeah. But for yeah. clarity, I, um, Jillian Horton and I worked on this book, Medicine, and she had this wonderful, she told me actually that this method she figured out is how her and her husband have arguments. So we applied it to uh, our bookmaking, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's very personal. It's a very, uh, you know, it's time consuming, emotional process to make a book. And she said, you know, we're just, I just want you to rank it, right? Here's, if you're giving me five things that you want changed, I want you to tell me on a scale of one to 10, how stubborn you'll be about it, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'll do the same thing about my changes, right? Right. And then maybe we'll both agree that the nines and tens will leave and the ones and twos, we can probably just let go, right? Right. And that yeah. way we'll only, and we didn't have a lot of time to finish the book. Uh, you know, she's a practicing physician. So, you know, when someone's on a table, they need her more than I need her to correct some <laughs> dialogue. Um, and so it allowed us to work very um, quickly and passionately and to say, okay, in all the changes that we need to make, you know, these ones, I'm not, I'd like them, but I'm not really emotionally invested in this change. But this one, this is a 10, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This has to stay. Mm -hmm. And it became like a veto system where we didn't right. question each other's nines or tens. We just accepted them. We had conversations about the fives to sevens and the ones and threes we just let happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is like a marriage, right? It like is. When you work with an illustrator on a project. Totally. Yeah, you find ways to communicate with each other. You know, there is no spoon. You've made a lot of books. Yeah. You put yourself out there. You've made a lot of books on important topics. Um, what scares you about your own creative process? About my creative process? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I think, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, nothing scares me anymore about it. I think th as the years have gone by, uh, about the process, I think more is about the content. Okay. Sometimes about the content, it scares me. Like I'm pretty comfortable with the process and creation now and, and letting go of that process when I need to as well. But uh, for me, because of the work that I do and the subjects that I address, that worries me um, sometimes. Because um, I think, like, you know, for example, with When We Were Alone, which is my first kid's book, it was about, you know, residential school history for, you know, kindergarten kids. So right. it's like, how the hell can you... And that, that's the question I got was really like, how the hell can you teach residential school history to a five-year-old like right. that's is is that even appropriate for you to be able to do that right right so then I, I, but it I, happened to five-year-olds so shouldn't we be able to talk about well it? absolutely right. and yeah. so then it's then it becomes like a, a, a this kind of um balance of like experience of uh, the right sort of uh, vetting process the right sort of cultural and um reviews um and so the fear, I guess, is there, but you kind of allay that fear through the process of, um, the process is different, I guess, between the creation process and the process of like um, consultation and, and, and storytelling and, and w addressing the topics like that. So that, and that's what I find like, you know, this whole, this whole um, debate that's happened in the last couple of years about, about cultural appropriation. Um, you know, I find like I, th I th go through the same process to avoid, um, the mistakes that a lot of non-indigenous writers make mm -hmm. in writing indigenous stories. Um, so the fear uh, for me is I, I was able to overcome that through 
going through the same process that I hope every writer goes through and uh, tackling the subjects that I tackle. And that's making sure that you're doing the, the work appropriately, um, that you're reviewing with the right people, you're consulting um, with you know, elders, with community representatives, with cultural and historical experts, and that's all the work that I need to do uh, right. you know, to in order to, and, and part of it is you know, my own experience. So you know, um, being uh, you know, a second generation survivor, um, and also having children that I've had the conversations with. And that experience comes into play as well. So yeah, for me, it's like, you know, I'm writing about missing and murdered indigenous women. I'm writing about residential school history. I'm writing about suicide. I'm writing about these things. And, and so how do, how do I put that out in a, in a good way? And so that's, that's where my fears come from when I first think about a story. Is, and then I overcome that through going through that process. How much does your editor help you? in finding that appropriate measure? I mean, they're part of the team, right? right. Um, so, th so the editors are like, you know, um, helping with the storytelling process and the, stu the boring stuff like, you know, grammar and syntax and all that <laughs> stuff, but like, <laughs> but yeah, th I mean, th there's, they're part of the team. Like they have their, they have feedback and they have um, stuff for me to consider, but it's, al it's also the, that weighted system of like, how married are you to this line or how right. married are you to this, you know, and what can you let go and what, what can you not let go? And, and that's, that's always like, I mean, for me, like every project I work on is like this, um, is a partnership between a lot of different tools within this tool toolkit. And, and it's, it's really comes down to communication, right? And, uh, and making sure that everybody on the team has, has, you know, uh, the same heart for the project. You know, and we, and we had that with Will I See. It was yeah. like we all cared about the subject. Um, we all wanted the same thing from it, and um, and it was a process. Now I remember going for dinner with you, and we were breaking it down, and 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 we were. I think we we're going through the same conversation, mm -hmm. right? It's um, you know, here's your script. This is the vision that I have for it, and what do you what do you really want in this, and what can you let go, and um, and and that to me, it's all about. It is all about con con communication and, and building a strong relationship with the people that are involved in the project that you're creating. Well, and I was doubly, um, you know, I doubly reflective in that process because, you know, if you're creating a story with pictures that is primarily entertainment, right? It's just supposed to be a thrill a minute action adventure story. There are different things to consider mm -hmm. than if it is a story about missing and murdered indigenous women and children. Um, one, anyone can kind of have an opinion of that's as valid as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And the other, I feel like, I felt like perhaps my instincts and my knowledge are getting tangled. Like what I don't know about the project. Right. Right? Like your instincts come from what you know, partially, and what you feel. And what I knew and felt about the actual issues was limited to my exposure to those issues. And then I, you know, it was one of the first times where I second guessed my own artistic instincts because I wondered, are they lacking in this particular set of experiences? And, you know, you were great because you were like, you know, as long as people feel the same things, you know, you boiled it down to what they're supposed to be feeling, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. if I felt uncomfortable, then that might come across in the work and it's an uncomfortable topic, and so that's okay. And there's another yeah. layer for for you as well, because you were, you know, a white creator yeah. involved in a very sensitive, a sensitive subject, right? Yeah. Um, that, 
you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't know how that would have felt for you. Um, well, m more than once, an indigenous person has asked me what gives me the right to right. have been a part of that project. Right. And what, so know? what would, what would your response be? Um, I usually borrow your response, right? Yeah. Which is that, you know, it's a human problem. Yeah. And, you know, it's one that I, as a human being, feel strongly about and wish was different. Right. And we can only change things through our actions. And yep. so the only actions I'm qualified to take as a writer and illustrator is to write or illustrate something mm -hmm. to try and fix mm -hmm. what I see. And so... And you, you know. had like, I think it's also important that you had the, I mean, the, the consultation process for you is like inherent in the creators of the book. Right. You know, because you, you're working with uh, Megan or Isque. Yeah. And you're working with me. And, and so I think that itself is, you know, uh, two good resources to, um, to rely on uh, to make sure that the work that you were doing was culturally appropriate. Right. Right. And then you run a risk, you know, it's also a risk mm -hmm. that I took. But, but, you know. So when we talk about like, you know, reconciliation and this, that's what that is, right? Is like, it's not only like, and as, as non-Indigenous people and Indigenous people, it's like, um, first of all, it's like, what do you know? Because mm -hmm. the, the, first, the first thing there is like to learn and listen, right? Uh, you can't do anything if before that. Like right. that's putting the cart before the horse. So it's like, and I t talk that about that across Canada, kids. It's like, first of all, the first thing you have to do before getting involved in any sort of action is to learn. And you, you can't, I mean, you can't get one without the other. Right. So learn first. And then once you have that knowledge, then ask yourself, okay, now what is my role, right? And what can I do in the process of reconciliation? So that's the action part, right? But you can't take action without. So that's what you did with Helen. Right, when you approached Absolutely. the book the second time. Right? Absolutely. You figured out what you knew about comics. You knew right. how you felt about Helen Betty Osborne's story, yeah. right? Yeah. But once you knew how to make comics, then... Yeah, you could bring out another layer. Yeah, but you know the thing is too, like as a Cree writer, I mean, I I write stories about Anishinaabe, I write stories about Dene people, right? and I'm and so we're not all like one. Yeah, it's not you know, one group. We're yeah, not all true, like yeah. Indigenous peoples aren't yeah. just like all the same, yeah. right? So if I'm going to write an, a story about an Anishinaabe character, I damn well better learn about that community and that that people and that history before I even think about writing that story, right? right. So I I could I could make the same mistakes as a lot of people make, right? And and I, I make sure that I don't do that. But um, have yeah. you ever come close? No, because I've I think from the beginning I've done that I've done that things the right way. Like right. I you know I've done all the research, I've done all the work, I've done all the consultation, uh, in in learning as much as I can before I even start writing anything. Uh, and I've always made sure. And I, part of that is because the people that I've surrounded myself with, like my dad, for example, uh, and the people I've learned from, have told me that that's the way that I should you know, go about these things. So let's say you wanted to ask, let's get back into the nitty gritty of the creative side. Okay. Right. We went heavy there. So let's go. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's outline. Yeah. Um, what do you need to know from Justin about having him illustrate your book? Well, right? first, what would you yeah. ask him? What kind of things, what would you need to know about him? I'm just setting you up for a blind date right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, first I would want to see his work, obviously. Right. right? So the same thing with all my books. I, I want to see portfolios of all the work to make sure that they have the capability of drawing the vision that I have. With, with the, the, me knowing that that vision might change. But the vision I have of the pictures that I see in this work. So I want to make sure that they have the capability to do that. So that, job number one is for me to, first of all, see the art. Right. Uh, and I've done that, you know, with all the books that I've done. 
Uh, and then second of all, if I was working with Justin, I would say like, you know, what do you know about this subject? Like, right. you know, and then if they don't, and I've done that with Scott and with anybody, I said, well, you, you know, you learn a bit about it first. Like, right. you know, I, I, you know, I've worked with Scott quite a bit. And uh, Scott, you know, the beginning of it would know nothing about First Nations people, really. I wouldn't think he would say that. Right. Uh, and so I've, I've asked him to, and he's been, he's gone out and done that on his own too, is to learn as much as he can uh, and do all that research work in order to be able to do it in a good way, right? So are you willing to do that? Uh, and, you know, if you don't know, are you willing to learn, uh, you know? And that's, for me, that's most important. Okay, let's you know? flip it now. Justin. When an author comes to you and says, I want you to work on a project, what do you need to know about them? Um, well, yeah, kind of reverse engineering that. Um, the, the story has to fit the artwork. I feel like myself in my career right now, I have a very established and specific style that works really, really well with certain stories and probably wouldn't work as well with other kinds of stories. And so, just interject, that's not a business decision necessarily, no. that's for you, that's to have joy in making it. Yes, right? I, I really, yeah. really like that I'm, I'm a little more, I have a, a, a specific style that, that works really well for some stuff. Um, so while, while you've been talking about, yeah, your, your projects, I've, I've been thinking about um, one of my next books is uh, kind of in a roundabout way um, about child soldiers. But the way I'm telling it, I'm kind of gearing it in my style, right? So there's, it's not just straight up child soldiers put into battle. It's uh, kids being, uh, so kids that have, have passed away, their, their brains are being put into machines that are then made mm. to fight. Um, and when the brains kind of freak out a bit, they're being fed like endorphins or oxycodone, you know, like they're yeah. being given drugs, kind of like how actual kid soldiers are being addicted to horrible things. So they do what they need to do. Right. Right. So on hopefully face value, you just read it and it's like kind of sci-fi. But when you think about it a little more, it's actually about this horrible thing that Metaphor actually happens real in thing. the world. Yeah. Right. So mm. that's kind mm. of how I think. I don't, I don't really want to tell the actual story because you can find the actual story if you want. I kind of want to put a spin on it that interests me a bit more and kind of draws me in, like, I guess kind of gives it a nice uh, lacquer of paint so it's not quite as horrible as it actually is, I guess. So um, you, yeah. So you dig in, Dave. Mm -hmm. You go deep <laughs> into the other side, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you, Justin, build up the metaphor. And let people sort of find it. And I think for me, that's the beauty of but is uh, that speculative that would, fiction. Yeah, I wonder. In is, speculative is that fiction. something that you would want to do? Like if if I were approached to do something residential schools, I'd probably want to, again, like sci-fi it, like make it about, um, I think you've actually talked about this yeah, kind Dave of idea. Yeah, and I are talking about yeah, it like that, yeah. Aliens coming and abducting kids and, and doing something, yeah, a little more sci-fi realm and bringing them back. And it's... It's about that, that subject and hopefully gets people interested in looking into it more, but uh, face value, it's, it, it comes across as a sci-fi story. So guys, do you think yeah. that this, because this is my, sort of my natural inclination about science fiction, is that you can have something spectacular that speaks about the present day. It's not really about the mm -hmm. future. It's about right now. That's what District science fiction nine, is. Yeah, right? It was very nine. clearly yeah, apartheid, again. Apartheid, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but... What, why is it that we'd rather 
see it as, you know, I'd rather read a graphic novel, I think, about giant robot child, child soldiers and then think about the ramifications of it on my own than sit down to say, okay, I'm going to read a really, really poignantly crafted story about suicide, mm-hmm. which I know happens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do I, but you're not a, you're not a, you don't shy away from those things at all. Like, you know, the real, like the real stuff. No. Yeah. yeah. There's no metaphors no. in yours. It's, I mean, there are, I mean, there are. And what I mean by that, know, okay. Yeah. So let me quantify what I mean is there's no candy coating that or, makes it easier yeah. to swap. No. See, I think I fell yeah. in love with historical fiction growing up. Like yeah. all the stuff I know about the bubonic plague and the crusades and everything like that was historical fiction yeah. uh, with fictional characters in the actual real events. And that, I guess it's, yeah, the candy coating that made me really interested in those things. But just a book on the bubonic plague, I wouldn't um, absorb that quite as much. So that's when when I think about writing stories about serious stuff like that, I think about kind of, yeah, that love for historical fiction and what those stories did to make me interested in the events. That's what I want to do. So when you started out making comics, Mm -hmm. I'm sensing it's the same motivation, right? You said the Helen Betty Osborne story is going to be a difficult pill for people to swallow. Mm -hmm. But if we make it a comic, maybe we can get it into places that wouldn't normally be well exactly and uh, like so reading like f- the the idea for me doing comics in the subject was like reading the text about it you know there, there's some sort of still a like an, a detachment there you know um the images are the key because what they do is they bring people into that world right so um if if i write uh, a story about helen Betty osborne and i'm providing accurate imagery that reflects the story that what i'm doing is i'm showing people the history and and in showing them the history i'm engaging them in actually seeing it and feeling like they're in it right and so um for me like the realism in the stories that i've written in in all my comic books are um you know i think they're all either biography or historical um then what what i'm what i'm doing is is i'm not allowing the reader to be able to remove themselves from the actual history. So you know what I mean? So I think yeah. like if I'm, if I'm, and I appreciate like, and we've talked about doing this, um, you know, this story in a sci-fi uh, sense. Uh, but, you know, what, what, if we do that, then part of the things that we're allowing readers to do is to ta- detach themselves right. from that history. And I think like, because of how I grew up when I learned growing up, what I, I don't want that to happen through the work that I've, do through the graph novels that I've written because I don't I don't want to allow them to have that option. You know, I think that we need to confront them with the history first and to bring them into that history and to make them realize that it's real, it happened, and here's the all the emotions that you know, that are those for example with the residential schools that, that those kids went through. I'm gonna be synchronizing our watches just like they do in the movies. I find this great subversive um uh, I guess situation has grown around the fact that because you're doing comics, you know, I see it, librarians, teachers, parents, they assume that because it's a comic, it's probably good for these kids to read. They mm-hmm. just they instantly put it in that category. And then you have this capacity then with the guards down mm-hmm. to show them some real serious parts of history. As long as it's age appropriate. Yes. Right? I still think about that. So this that, is, right? okay, so I was yeah. going to ask you that. Yeah. How then do you decide, knowing that, right? what goes into a comic? I think for me, it's like, you know, in terms of content, it's like, 
you know, I have, I have the experience of having, you know, kids from all, you know, I have kids from like age 14 to three. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I think of, when I write my, my books, I always think about, you know, what would I be comfortable in my own kid learning at the age that they're at? And then I'm able to kind of, you know, transfer that into the stories that I write for other kids as a parent and as a writer, right? And so in terms of content, I, I think a lot about what I, what I talk about with my own kids and how I would talk about it with other kids, right? Um, so that's kind of, that's, that's the thought process that I go through when I'm creating this story. So when I write When We Were Alone, it's like, okay, how would I talk about this with my five-year-old? Right. You know, and then, um, and what, what do kids need to know to build a foundation of knowledge that they can then go forward with so that, you know, when they get to grade eight, then they're able to learn this through like, you know, seven generations or Sugar Falls or, you know, the other works that I've done for, you know, older, older learners, right? Amazing. Okay, this has been Super Pulp Science. We've been here with my guest and uh, co-collaborator, David Alexander Robertson and Justin Curry, and we are all telling you whether the metaphor is thick or thin, you should join the fight and make comments.